we have an amazing, amazing woman here this morning who is part of Bay City Church family. And it is a great honor to have you here, Sam. Now, Sam, uh, Dr. Sam Dunnett is a, is a qualified medical doctor. And I'm not going to, she's going to tell you more about herself than I will. But she is an amazing woman and whose life has just made a, an amazing impact in some of the most darkest and troubled places in the world. That God has used her, God has raised her up with, um, uh, with, the, with the gifts and the talents in her life, the things that she's trained for, a trained medical doctor. God has used that to bring hope. Uh, and freedom into some of the most uh, challenging places in the world. And here she is. She lives in Hawke's Bay today. She's, uh, she's a local GP. And, uh, and it's a great honor to have you here, Dr. Sam. But ladies and gentlemen, Bay City, would you please put your hands together for Dr. Sam Dunner as she comes to minister this morning. Thank you guys. Oh, it's cool to be here. You know, the last time I preached on a stage was in Eastern Burma, and I had to wear this traditional longy skirt thing that sort of was a tube that tied around, and I'm no expert at those things. And about three times during the sermon, I had to turn around and tie it up again. <laughs> Thankfully, the congregation found it quite amusing, but uh, clothes firmly in place today. So, um, yeah. <laughs> So I moved to Hastings in September of last year. Um, but over the last 15 years, I've had the privilege of working in some of the poorest parts of the world. And God has like taken me really through the fire and through the floods like more than once. Um, but I just want to testify today that he is so faithful and he is so good and he is so amazing. And so I just want to share some of that journey with you. Um, some of you know that I've recently come back from uh, working in a refugee camp on the border of Burma. And actually, I'm not going to talk about that at all. We're going to go further back than that, but maybe another day. So let's just pray before we start. God, we thank you that you are such an awesome God. We can sing about your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you that you reign, that your kingdom reigns over all. It doesn't matter how much darkness there is, your light shines brighter. Lord, thank you that we can just trust you no matter what's, what's going on in the world, no matter what we face. Thank you. And I pray that you would speak through me today, that you would inspire and challenge. You would soften our hearts. You would help us to see our world through your eyes, see the hurting, see the difficulty. God, thank you that you are good, and we just bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, I'm going to go back to 1984 to start with. Um, some of you were around then. And you might remember that there was a terrible famine in Ethiopia at that point. You just put the next picture up. Um, and it was really the first time that images were sent across the world of suffering on such a scale. And I was 10 years old at the time, and this impacted my life in a profound way. Um, this guy, Bob Geldof, he was like a pop star, but he just became like the leader of a movement to do something about this crisis. And at that point, I decided in my heart, I'm going to be a missionary doctor in Africa. And... I had no concept of what a Christian was. God wasn't really mentioned in my family when I was growing up. But that was it. That was what I was going to do. And I believe that that was God's call on my life, um, even though I didn't know him at the time. Um, and a few years later, I did become a Christian, which was amazing. Um, 
And then I just began to absorb books about missionaries. I read about Nepal and the Congo and Eastern Europe and China. And I just was just hungry to understand what that meant. And when I was 14, 15, I was writing letters to politicians about third world debt. And, you know, it had to be canceled. And, you know, I didn't know anything about the World Bank. I didn't know about economics. But I knew that it was wrong that poor countries were having to pay rich countries loads of interest and that they could never pay. And, and you know, it was great. That movement resulted in the cancellation of a lot of debt for the UK government. They cancelled debt across large parts of Africa. So don't ever think you're too young to make a difference. You can. You know, you can, you can be part of a movement that makes a difference in this world. I believe our God is a God of justice and he cares about injustice. And there's, there's rather, a rather sobering um, verse in Proverbs, which I won't turn to now. I think I've got it in my head. Here we go. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. You know, that is a rather frightening verse. But God calls us, and he gives us a responsibility to, to respond when we see need, when we, when we see injustice. So anyway, I had a few major wobbles on the way to becoming a doctor, but God just kept bringing me back to that. He's very faithful. And as, as soon as I qualified, I went and ended up working in the, in a, in the jungle in Guatemala running a clinic, which, um, which was a bit wild. Um, but there's a certain number of boxes you have to jump through to really be a useful doctor. So I had to do those in, in various hospitals. And, and then I was doing some missions training. And during that time, the passage in the Bible that just jumped out to me was in Isaiah 58, and I'm not going to read the whole of the chapter because it's quite long. But basically, the context is that God is speaking to the exiles in Jerusalem. And he's saying, you're going through the motions. You're fasting. You're praying. But you're not walking in righteousness. You're not. Um, there's oppression going on. Um, there's all sorts of evil going on. And you're not doing anything about that. So if we go down to verse 6, if you can just put that up. He says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And then it goes on to an amazing promise. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. Oh, I can testify to these words. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. So amazing. And then it goes on to talk about rebuilding the ancient ruins, which... We haven't got time to go on to that today. But just 
all the, the promises of God. And, and, you know, when I was younger, I was so gripped with the first part about spending myself on behalf of the hungry and giving myself and, and setting the oppressed free. And now I can, you know, I'm older now, and I can just see how God was faithful, and he did answer, and he has guided me, and he has satisfied me, and he has made me a well-watered garden, which which I'm just obsessed with living water at the moment, but um, we'll, we'll come back to that. Anyway, so it was about 2004 when I first really got to be a missionary doctor in Africa, as you like, um, and I started off with Mercy Ships. You can put up the picture of, uh, this is the Anastasis, which is a hospital ship, and it's got three operating theatres and a 45-ish bed ward. Um, and we went to, basically, we went to West Africa and did life-changing surgeries for several months in each place. And it's a relatively safe and easy way to start. You might not think that sounds easy, but it, it was fairly safe. Um, but if you just put the next slide up, our second mission was in Liberia which had just come out of civil war and was full of tanks, guns, barbed wire, loads of UN troops. And it is quite unnerving when you're riding your bike down the road and sort of towards a tank that's pointing at you. Um, I mean, it was on the whole peaceful. Um, but yeah, as it says there, no electricity, no phones, no water in the entire country. It was really in a bad state. And things, things were getting on their feet, and then they were having political elections while we were there, and kind of became a bit messy. You know, we weren't allowed out because young people were being abducted and murdered because the political candidates were eating their hearts. And because that was gaining power and useful hearts, you know, gives you more political power. And there's the, the depths of witchcraft and evil. I think we have no idea sometimes the depths of evil that there are. And, yeah, that was just horrifying, horrifying to me. Um, so I spent a year on, on, that, on the ship, and we, it was amazing. We were really able to change people's lives by doing the op surgery for a lot of facial problems, a lot of burns, all sorts of things that were just not available in those countries. And, yeah, quite a lot of us got malaria, including me. Um, but it just slowed me down for a few days, and then we were back up and running again. So it was good. Um, and from there, I went to Angola with uh, Médecins Sans Frontières, which is uh, Doctors Without Borders, which was a completely wild experience. If you think um, landmines, diamond smuggling, um, measles epidemics, you know, it was... Um, it was pretty bad, actually, but I'm not going to talk about that today. Um, so after that, I had to be in the UK for a bit um, to finish off to be, as being a GP. And I remember one day just thinking, God, this is too safe. I can't cope with all this cotton wool. Everything is health and safety ridiculousness. You know, I can't bear it. I said, I want to live more on the edge. Life is more about life and death. I can't bear carpets, curtains, everything nice. It's just driving me crazy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, God really heard me. And, and within a few months, I was on my way to South Africa in the bush bush to um, the AIDS pandemic. But I, I believe that God has not put us here to live life as safely as possible. 
The goal of our lives is not to get through it as safely as we can and finally at the end to fall safely into our grave. That is not what we are here for. <laughs> you know, I love what Bill Johnson says. He talks about the battle that we are in. And he says, you can tell where a soldier is in the battlefield by what they are thinking about. And he says, the soldiers who are on the front line are looking at where are my fellow soldiers? What is the enemy doing? What are their tactics? Have I got enough ammunition? But the soldiers who are at the back are thinking, I wonder what's for dinner tonight. I wonder what film they're going to show in the mess at the weekend. I wonder where my next leave is. And he's like, yeah, what are we focusing on? Do we, do we, where are we in the battlefield? Do we even realize that there's a battle going on or not? Or are we just sort of blobbing along through our life? To, yeah, no. Do we actually care about what's going on around us? So before I went to South Africa, there was a verse that God really spoke to me from Isaiah 41. Many of you will know this, if you can put this verse up. It says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And you may have gathered I didn't have too much trouble with the first part of the verse. Um, being afraid wasn't really an issue for me. But do not be dismayed was so key. And that verse was tested over and over while I was in South Africa. It's so easy to despair. And I had brought a lot of cynicism with me from being in Angola and just watching people die and die and die. But God is not a God of despair. God is a God of hope. God isn't sitting there with his head in his hands going, oh, it's awful, there's nothing else we can do about it. And despair is, is sin, really, because it's the opposite of hope. And, and we have the hope of the world inside us. And, and despair is paralyzing. If we, we may have power and knowledge and experience, but if we don't believe that we can make a difference, if we don't believe that things are ever going to change, then we're not even going to go. And so we can't achieve anything. So God is a God of hope, and he's given us that's that hope that we can make a difference. So, so I'm just going to tell you a little bit about um, the time that I was working in South Africa. If you just put up the next slide, that's great. So I ended up working in a, in a really remote part of South Africa where it was basically just um, Zulu people. Um, and there was a massive, massive HIV problem. I mean, there still is, but it was really, really bad at that point. It was just a regular hospital, um, but about 80% of our patients had HIV. About 70% had TB. And at that time, there were an estimated 600 to 1,000 deaths from HIV every day in South Africa. That was in 2008. Um, the life expectancy for men was 39 and for women was 37. And I mean, I went there because I needed, I felt that I needed to learn how to manage HIV if I, if I was going to be any use in Africa. Um, but gosh, it was hard. It was, it was hard. If you just um, put up the next slide. We, there was so much TB, these are our wonderful nurses. So we actually all had to work wearing these lovely TB masks, which are completely suffocating. Um, but. So many patients had, had, had TB that either diagnosed or not diagnosed. Um, lots of the nurses got TB, in fact, uh, as well. Um, if you just put up the next slide. I love the kids. We didn't have, we didn't have consultants. We didn't have that luxury. Um, we were all 
what you were called junior doctors at that point. Um, and yeah, I was in charge of the children's ward, which is quite scary when you get a, maybe a visit once every two weeks from a specialist who's coming up from the, the big city. Um, I liked the children's ward because the kids didn't die quite as much as the adults did. Um, and yeah, and it, the wonderful thing, one of the wonderful things there, there were a few. Um, when we did cesarean sections, one of us would do the operation and the other one would do the anesthetic. So I usually got the anesthetic bit because I don't really like surgery. And you do a spinal anesthetic by um, putting a needle in the woman's back and giving, giving her some um, anesthetic that makes their body go numb. But sometimes it starts to go up a bit and, and then they can be paralyzed and stop breathing. So the way that you check for that is that the woman has to sing all the way through the cesarean section. And when they've run out of songs, the nurses will go, come on, come on, come on, another one. And then they'll sing, and then all the nurses will join in. So every baby pretty much came into the world um, with singing. And it was always praises to God because all Zulus are almost universally Christians or nominal Christians. So, um, yeah, that was one thing I really enjoyed. Yeah. But, but the sad thing was, at the same time, there was so much HIV. About a third of the pregnant women had HIV. And the, we could give them drugs. Well, we did. We gave them drugs to try and reduce the transmission rate. But, I mean, it still breaks my heart to remember seeing a, a young mother. She was probably about 18 with her baby who was sick in the emergency department. And she looked at the clock. She was probably almost completely illiterate, but she looked and she saw it was seven o'clock. So she got out the little bag of medicines and the little bag of syringes and she was giving the antiretrovirals to her baby. And knowing that she had given her baby HIV um, and her partner who had given it to her had left um, and just left them alone. And, it, and she, she was so diligent with giving the medicines because she knew that without these medicines, the child would die. Um, oh, it just, it just broke my heart again, again and again. Um, if you just put up the next slide. The women came when they were pregnant and tested for HIV, so they were quite well. Um, the men only came when they were almost dead. It's something about the African male ego that will not test for HIV. Sometimes never, and sometimes only when you're almost dead. So I don't remember this particular guy, but he's representative of hundreds that I saw, possibly even more than that. Um, and half of them would come in in a coma, and the other half almost in a coma. And they almost all died. And it was, it was very hard. And, and I, I just remember, you know, just crying out to God, like, don't you care about this situation? Don't you care that all these people are dying? And... And of course he cared. Of course he cared so much. He's, he died for each one of those, he, each one of those people. And I would, I would um, go to bed at night, and I, there was a song that I had called, it, and the chorus is, "Your grace, your grace, I'm nothing without you." And I would just cry every night and just weep and pour my heart out to God and go, "Don't you care? You know, come, do something." And I, I read the Shack. Actually, it's a it's a book during that season. It was really helpful because it made me realize that life and death is not up to me. It's up to God. I couldn't take responsibility. 
when I resuscitated a baby that didn't survive, it wasn't my fault. That, that death wasn't, wasn't because of me. Um, but, oh, it was hard. I've, God was teaching me his heart. This is pain that he's feeling. And, and to bring it back to him, you know, if you go into a place and you think you're going to save the world, you go into this place with an idea that you can do it. Well, I'd like to save you a lot of agony. You can't. It's a very hard job. And I tried that for quite a lot of years. Um, and I don't recommend it. Thankfully, it's not our job to save the world because Jesus has already done it. Um, yes. <laughs> but, but yeah, it took a lot of years, actually, to get that sort of Messiah complex out of me, thinking that it was up to me to save the world. And, and we just can't. And, and it, it broke me, actually, trying. And there was, there was a particular season, a couple of our doctors, they'd had needle stick injuries, which potentially gives you HIV. So they were on drugs, which were making them very ill. Um, and then a couple of my other colleagues were having a nervous breakdown, essentially. And one of our nurses was stabbed in the chest with a screwdriver. And, and I was living close to the mortuary, so I just saw the bodies going down every day. And, and so I, there was a song I used to sing, which, which, I'll, which I'll attempt to sing to you. <laughs> because if you're in a desperate situation, maybe it might minister to you. Um, yeah, so it went like this. I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. And once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. As the thunder roars, I barely hear you whisper through the rain. I'm with you. As your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives takes away I will praise you in this storm and I will lift my hands for you are who you are no matter where I am and every tear I've cried you hold in your hands you've never left my side and though my heart is torn I will praise you in this storm. I remember when I stumbled in the wind. You heard my cry, you raised me up again. My strength is almost gone. How can I carry on if I can't find you? As the thunder roars, I barely hear you whisper through the rain. I'm with you. As your mercy falls, I raise my hands and praise the God who gives, takes away. And I will praise you in this storm, and I will lift my hands, for you are who you are. No matter where I am, and every tear I've cried, you hold in your hands, you've never
never left my side and though my heart is torn I will praise you in this storm And the, the next verse goes on to say, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he carried us through that season. He really did. And do you know, I, I worked out, I, I, during that almost two years I was there, I started about 1,000 people on ARVs which is the antiretroviral treatment, and, and they are miracle drugs. I know God's miracles are better, but it was the best that we had there physically. And, and they, they rescue people from the brink of death, like, like penicillin used to when it was first invented. Amazing. And do you know, we didn't know what we were doing with HIV because nobody knew then. We were experimenting. They didn't have the trials then. They didn't know what works and what doesn't work. So we just tried. We just did the best that we could. But, but God was so faithful. And by the end, after that crisis, we did end up with more doctors than we needed by the time I left, which was great. But do you know, God knows our limits. And he pushes us, I think, to our limits so that we know where they are. And sometimes he takes us beyond our limits and gives us grace to deal with that. Um, and at the end of that season, I moved on um, and actually went to work in Mozambique, which you might not think is easier and um, I suppose it wasn't easier, really. Um, but for, for a while, I was slightly removed from the death and dying. Um, but Mozambique is another country where I'm sure God's heart breaks every day. I mean, mine certainly did. People are trapped in fear of spirits and witchcraft, and, and that governs almost the whole of life. If you could just pop up um, the next slide. I was involved... Um, with a, with a church as well as working for a big NGO in Mozambique for about, for about three years. And this is a, a baptisms here. And the church was growing massively. It was so great to see something that was really working, really making a difference. Um, again, there's not time to go into that in a great deal of detail today. But um, if you just pop up the next slide, some of you will have seen on the news at the moment, it's not a very good picture, but... The city that was south of the city that I lived in has been hit by a massive, massive cyclone. Um, well, to be honest, the cyclone wasn't that massive, that, but the destruction that resulted from it, 95% of the city was completely destroyed. So my friends um, and colleagues are down there working, trying to bring relief. Uh, and now there's a cholera epidemic on the top of that with about 500 cases. But do you know, our God does not get compassion fatigue you know, like the Western world seems to suffer from. He has not turned away, and he is with them. And I'm so glad that our God cares about justice, and he cares, um, and he is there, and, and, and he, wants, he wants us to respond. So, yeah, just, um, just thinking again about Isaiah 58, when we look at what God calls us to do, in, in verse 7 he talks about, sharing your food with the hungry. It's not some food that someone else has given as a donation. It's your food. It, you know, this actually costs us. And if it doesn't cost us, what are we doing it for? It, you know, you can't, you can't be involved in pain and hurt without it costing, without it costing you. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that it's easy because it isn't. And, and 
some of these seasons, it's taken me quite a while to get over, to, to get over that. But, but God is faithful, and he does, he does carry us. Um, yeah, and I'm just I'm going to show just a clip of a video of a, another really sort of crazy season in my life when I was um, involved with the Ebola epidemic. This is back, going back to 2014. So, um, yeah, there's not time to sort of tell you the whole story, but maybe we can, you'll just get a little taste of it from this, from this video. Back in October, my emails started filling up with requests for help, and I was kind of ignoring it for a while. But then I felt there was a particular one requesting GPs, um, and so I, I contacted them about it and sort of started um, exploring the idea. And to be honest, at first I said no because I really thought they hadn't thought it through and it was highly dangerous what they were proposing. But then over the next couple of days I really felt that I was supposed to go and that God was asking me to go. So uh, I, I signed up as a staff health manager uh, for a large organisation covering all of their staff in, in Sierra Leone. I was out there for about nine weeks, which was really during the peak of the epidemic. A large part of my job was sort of making evacuation plans and strategies and identifying the health facilities that were available. But my basic message to all new staff that arrived was, you know, don't get sick because there's really nothing here. Um, if you break your leg, if you get malaria, you know, the, the hospitals weren't really functioning. I had one of our NHS staff fever and vomiting and diarrhoea um, and it's like okay do I keep him in his hotel room or do I transfer him to the Ebola treatment centre in the Ebola ambulance which I hope has been cleaned properly because the risk of him getting Ebola along the way or by being there is, is not that insignificant so yeah it was just just needed God's wisdom in everything really. Going into December, when the cases were going up and up and up, and they were focused in Freetown, and at one point there were about 100 new cases per day, and they were doing house searches around us, finding dead bodies. And there are a couple of songs that I just used to sing. One is You Make Me Brave, and you know it talks about how God is for us and not against us. And the other one is, God, I look to you and I won't be overwhelmed. And there's a passage in Hebrews that talks about how Jesus sets us free from the fear of death. And I'm not afraid of dying. You know, I'm quite excited about going to heaven, really. And so I, you just have to sort of get that right in, in yourself before you go. Because people were saying to me, you know, oh, well, God will look after you. But I knew that there were Christian doctors out there who were dying. In fact, some of the most senior doctors in the country who were amazing Christians died during the weeks that I was there. So just the fact that you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to die. Um, so I just trusted my life into God's hands and yeah, just that he would look after me. respond to this. Um, if you are a young person, you might want to think about, if you've still got a choice about where your career is going, have a think about training in something that can be really useful to help other people. That might be teaching, it might be healthcare, it might be media, IT, law, accounting, you know, all of those skills are needed 
in, in um, responses all over the world. Um, if you have that option, just think, you know, God, what do you want me to do with my life? How can I serve you? How can I serve the neediest people in this world? Yeah, what can I do? And some of you, you know, you're pretty much tied here. You can't, you can't go off and save people in the side of the world. You know, sometimes it's harder to cross the street and help someone than to cross the world and help someone. There will be needs all around you. And just asking God to show you where, where are people hurting? Where, where are people needing you? And do you know, I, I mean, I'm working here as a GP. I see so many needs. I see people, so many people who can't work because they have social anxiety, because they have depression, because they're suffering with grief. You know, a lot of what I do doesn't require a medical degree. I share the stuff that we are hearing here, the stuff that I'm learning myself. You know, you matter. You are valued. Your life has value. Your life has a purpose. You are loved. I've got a sign in my office. You are loved because I felt that this is the message that people need to hear. And you guys can do that. You can step up, see what, ask God to show you where are the needs? Where can I respond? Yeah, how can I? And if, if you don't have the option of doing that either. Just ask, you can pray, you can, you can get involved, you can give, you can educate yourself about the needs of the world. And you don't need to understand the ins and outs of, you know, the, it's problems like slavery, trafficking, there are huge problems. Um, people are suffering all over the world and you can pray, praying, we can really make a difference when we can't go, we can pray. So, yeah, do you know, I love the analogy that you can't steer a parked car. And if you don't know what God is leading you to do, then just start. Just try. Just step out. Just ask God to give you a word or an encouragement or just smile at people. That's a good start. Um, but as you move, he can direct you. He can direct you. Um, so, yeah, don't, don't, don't just be paralyzed by waiting for a sort of a lightning bolt revelation of what, of what you're supposed to do. Um, it doesn't always come like that. Um, but yeah, don't, and don't be overwhelmed by the masses and the huge need. Start with the person in front of you. You don't need to save the world. Just do what God's calling you to do. That was stunning. Come on, put it together one more time. How many people were moved in their heart? That was powerful. I'd love to you. Um, just as I was listening to you and I was, I was reading this morning uh, in Matthew chapter 9, uh, how, how when Jesus saw the multitudes and his heart was moved with compassion. And... Um, that's the reason why we're here. <laughs> and um, there's so many different dynamics to, the, to, to what we do as Christians. I mean, one main part of what we do is we, we gather together as the body of Christ, as we do today. It's important that we, we do that. The Bible clearly says, don't forget the coming together, that we can hear the word of the Lord, that we can worship, that we can fellowship with one another. But that's only a little part 
of what we're called to do as, as believers. And it's the other part that really does shift the world around us. And um, just as I was listening to you, I, I kind of understand that Kate and I went to Pakistan. One of the hardest parts was coming home. <laughs> and not just the niceties of what we have, but struggling with the mentality that people, the way people thought about life and what was valuable to them and what wasn't valuable to them. And even now I listen to some of the conversations that I have with some people and what's frustrating them or what's annoying them. I'm thinking, heck, (laughs) um, you need a world shift. Uh, You need a a life perspective shift. Um, Just as you were sharing, I, I was just reflecting on our time in Pakistan where uh, even just recently, um, one of my friends was a, was a, uh, wasn't celebrated, but it was honoured. Um, he was a government minister. He never married. He was a Catholic. But he was assassinated in his car because of his statement of faith. And, and I remember being at his funeral and uh, experiencing that. I also remember having to send soldiers with guns. Sorry, they weren't actually soldiers. They were church security with guns round to a person's home because the wife had been stripped naked and left in the street because she'd become a Christian. And extraordinary accounts. I I know what it's like to to get to the point where you have nothing left inside of you. I I, I remember Kate and I were just laughing the other day. She thought it was funny, but... Of reflection, it was funny, <laughs> but sick to the point where I couldn't move and tried to get up and speak, and I didn't even know what to say. I had nothing to say, and then God turned up in a um, surprisingly in a in a thunderstorm, just massively appeared, and I'll never forget those moments. And the reason why I'm, I'm sharing this is because as I, as you were sharing, I was reflecting back on what I feel God speaking to me personally and also us about and it's often where you take time to reflect that you can see the hand of God steering your decisions all the way along and I I don't believe it's by accident or coincidence that you are here in this place sharing what you are today Neither do I believe that it's by coincidence that Terry Walker will be here at the end of this month. Terry got saved out of an extraordinary background. He became, he started a ministry, and I'll I'll let him share it, but essentially he would feed for free 5,000 people every week in Australia. I don't believe it's by coincidence that... um, God has brought people like you and Terry and different ones into this church at this particular time in this place. It's because I believe that God has wanted to stir our hearts again for for missions um, overseas, but also locally. And um, I was just reflecting a whole bunch of things. And one of the things I also reflected on was this. 
that what this place would be known for, this building, what us as a church would be known for. And um, for a while ago, you may remember, we, I was seriously considering buying a new piece of land and building a new church. Um, I, was, I thought I'd heard from God, but I'd test in the waters anyway. But in the middle of it, I kind of felt actually a heart change that what we have is, is great. And what I believe that we were better to do is to use the resources to develop a little bit what we have that'll be a greater blessing to the community. And so that's kind of where my, um, where my thinking has shifted to. But I, I, I don't know about you, I'm just, I'm kind of lost for words really, because uh, it just brought up a whole bunch of reasons why, why I feel we even came back here from overseas. while we came back it was always been to bring hope to our own community and I, I believe that as a church if we would shift our mentality from being um, a consumer that's just caught up in our own <laughs> our own troubles our own issues in our world and our own pride and our own agendas for moving forward in leadership or whatever it is. But allow our heart to be touched again that what, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? And it's the part of, like missions has always been a part of our church, but actually it's, I, I believe it's again in our own community now. There's a reason why we have ministries here um, that are focused on healing the heart because it's our heart that needs healed <laughs> that touches everything else uh, there's a reason why we do these things there's a reason why God has placed these people in this church it's that our hearts and our lives would be activated to touch the world around us and unless there is an outflow from our life anywhere, somewhere that actually we become a swamp. And my heart is that we would build this church. And that's why I feel God spoke to me about, about building. It's not about building a building as such, but everyone has gifts that they can bring to the house that collectively we can create a place where one, the presence of God is felt and experienced. And two, that people are activated to, to go out and be and bring heaven to earth. Just as we were singing, let heaven come, well, heaven did come, and someone's waiting out in the community for heaven to come. Uh, whether that's with a food parcel, however it comes. I would challenge you, and I would encourage you, I just feel challenged again, that where is the outflow in my life into the community? What do I need? I don't want to just feel emotional now and then come tomorrow and do nothing and come the next week and nothing's changed. I believe that God is certainly most certainly speaking into my life and certainly speaking into the church as to what shall we do now. It's almost like, what are you going to do? What's the response? How are you going to live the course of your life? 
are your main concerns going to be how about your mortgage or uh, your next set of wheels or your next this or your next that? And all those things are nice, but essentially, what will now move us as a church? What will move you? What will move me as an individual? That's why hospitality I preached on at the beginning of the year. It's not about cooking food. It's about welcoming people into our life, welcoming people into your home. Somebody that might need a, they might need food. They might just need some uffy. They might just need something, whatever. The question is, how will you now respond? Not just in this moment, but how will we now respond in the terms of the course of our life? How will we, what values need to be readjusted in our life that will now outwork? This morning, we'd love you to um, just take a moment to reflect on what um, Dr. Sam and Pastor Dave have said. It's really easy to be moved today and to change nothing tomorrow. You and I, we have the privilege of living in a first world nation. And sure, there's, there's things, there's troubles, and there's things we go through, but every resource we need is right here for us. And Sam said this morning, all it takes is for you and I to, um, to reach out to somebody that's before us. I want to I wanna today just put before you a, um, a challenge to respond. And so many times, you know, one of our phrases this year is, let our tables become our church. It's great we meet here. Well, why don't we open our homes? And I know some of you do. But if you haven't opened your home recently, why not? Why not? If you haven't opened your heart, why not? You don't have to be perfect. None of us will be until the day Jesus Christ comes back. He says it in His Word. So you don't have to have it all together. And it can't actually be our crutch or our excuse because it's not going to happen. And so just as we come and we sing this song, I'd love you in your heart to say, you know what? I'm going to make a difference. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let this be an emotional response. I'm going to do something I'm gonna, we've got projects coming up, even within Bay City. Uh, there are, there are, we're needing groups. We're needing groups to start up in every suburb in, right through our region. Open your home. You don't have to be the best. It's just about opening your home. And so we've also got opportunities to go overseas, but why don't we start here where we are today? Not tomorrow, why don't we start today? Why don't we start and say there's someone here right next to me. Somebody may be sitting next to you in the seat that you don't know. It's challenging when it's right next to us because we've got to, we're faced with doing something Amen. with it. When it's out there, we can go, oh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll save the money and I'll go. And we want that too. But when it's right next to me, what kindness can I show? What kindness can I show? We're going to sing this song as we finish today. If you need to go and get your children, you're released. But I'd love you to stand and sing. And uh, if you want this morning to make a response, I'm going to change. I'm going to start to reach out more than I ever have. Why don't you come and uh, make a line across the front and present yourself to God this morning. We're not going to pray for you, but come and make a stand before God and say, here am I. In Isaiah 6, He said, who will go for me? Who will I send? And Isaiah said, pick me, Lord, send me. I will go. Why don't we stand together this morning? Come and respond this morning.